Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert, as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works, and maybe more importantly, what doesn't. Our podcast is different. We use a conversational format to help share the experiences that only people who've been there and done that can provide, as we have been pushing the envelope in the profession for over a decade. In this show, we're going to hear from one of our listeners and pick a topic and talk about it. What did you get, Scott? So one of the things that's fantastic is that our listeners are becoming more and more engaged, and we're getting some uh, some emails. And this one's particularly great. Uh, so hopefully, you can tell that we're trying to include you all as as uh, as our audience, as Insider Nation. And I love this topic because what he did is share, and I'm I'm always protecting the names to protect the innocent. Some points of view about what's important to him. Great. So, what he says is lastly, my big, my big, big challenges as an enablement practitioner are number one, stakeholder management. And he puts in parents, you started this. And if you know what we're talking about, that's episode 13 or better yet, our chicken hawk. <laughs> chicken hawk. <laughs> the chicken hawk episode. Uh, but I think it's much bigger than any practitioner realizes. We couldn't agree with you more. Uh, number two, prioritization process. I think it's different than stakeholder management. And this is often, and then this, and off of this is almost model a business case to justify investment enablement process. Um, number three is capacity planning. What it actually takes to do one facet of enablement properly. I think we all underestimate the resources, so it would be great to have some kind of strategy or formula uh, for uh, before taking on a project. That's a, yeah, very very true. Uh, that, might no, take, that might take five or six. Yeah, exactly. Uh, each of these topics might take five or six, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, number, number four, a strategy for general continued rein, uh, reinvest in your function and selling to your CFO your value. That's the business within a business strategy that we kind of talked to. We're still trying to figure out how to introduce that one. So any ideas on how we can just get that topic going, we'd love to hear. Number five, how to say no without losing trust. And number six, it could be us here at, insert company name here to protect the incident, uh, uh, innocent, but enablement practitioners to me are seemingly awful at reinforcement strategies. That's a good one too. Yep, so those are, those are the topics. And in the spirit of uh, trying to give you what we want, this, is, uh, this topic we're gonna go into stakeholder management or AKA Chicken Hawk. 
And with me, we have uh, we have Brian Lambert, who recently was with a he's under non disclosure, so we can't say exactly what the company is. So just imagine I'm beeping it. Uh, um, I'm kidding. I'm not going to say the name of the company. Was recently at a large uh, Fortune 500 company where it ran an enablement function, and we're going to talk about the importance of stakeholder management. So first question to you, Brian, on a scale of one to ten. How important do you think stakeholder management is as a sales enablement practitioner? Uh, 11. <laughs> Take it to 11. He's got 11, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How good, how good I am I? A two. And, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah it's, it's, a, it's a difficult, it's a very, very difficult thing to master. But let's talk about a little bit why it's so important. Why would you say it is a 10? And why do we not hear about stakeholder management out, outside in the community of, of sales enablement? Why are we only hear about onboarding or coaching or you know tactics? How come sales? How come stakeholder management? If you think it's eleven, why isn't it getting a lot of talk out there? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe because nobody's um, got an approach to it. Um, because a lot of times, I think people inherit. Uh, remit or a, a department and they just execute what has been going on in this case um, I think it's important to, to think about the transformational nature or where the function is going and how uh, Disruptive it can be in a positive way to the success of salespeople And when you think about that it impacts a lot of people and you have to do what salespeople do and you have to map it all out so um, maybe it's uh, quote-unquote a lot of work for folks to figure out, but it has to be done. Yeah, so uh, I, I want to add a comment on a little bit there, uh, Brian. You mentioned transformational. I think we would you agree that uh, within the sales enablement world, there are some people who like, who, who believe sales enablement is transformative, but they're not doing it in their companies. There are some who believe sales enablement is just tactical and it should be just tactical. And uh, it, are, aren't we all over the place in the community in terms of the flavors of sales enablement? Yeah, absolutely. The flavors, the domains of, of uh, sales enablement, and, and then, um, you know, is it here to uh, execute well and, and optimize what we've been doing in the past, or is it a transformative role that requires um, new ways of working or new processes and, and deliverables, if you will, or outputs uh, to help salespeople be successful to close some sort of gap yeah. or, um, you know, improve efficiencies, et cetera? So let's do this to help the listeners or help our audience or help Insider Nation. Uh, I'm hoping, guys, that we can, you know, get behind that. So let us know. Like, uh, we might need a sound effect from Nick every time we say Insider Nation. Oh! Right, exactly. Yeah, audio engineer to think about that one. Oh! And, and I'm also thinking about, uh, if, if those are our listeners, just hashtag uh, Insider Nation out there and let us know that uh, you like the term and let us know that you're out there. Uh, but back to back to this topic to to help Insider Nation know and be able to identify with Brian's story. Brian, tell us a little bit about the scope uh, of what your enablement function was. Uh, what was the impetus for what you were doing? What was the scope of role at a high level? Just real lightweight. What the business problem was? The the, the size of your team? Where did you? What what function did you report into? Give us some of those demographics before we start talking about stakeholder management, so that way uh, somebody can envision uh, your organization and why stakeholder management would be so important. So ultimately, uh, we reported into a shared service function. Uh, it was designed, the shared services function was designed to support and enable 
the call centers and the call centers are sales and service call centers. Uh, so uh, in that view, uh, the group that I worked in uh, had traditionally been uh, an L&D group. Uh, however, the, the VP that came in was very transformational. Uh, we basically worked together to sell a vision for uh, evolving the function in, from a traditional L&D function into an enablement function, which means it had primarily two groups, um, te technically three. Um, so I'll go with the three-legged stool because um, the, the, these are important concepts, I think, that we can work on uh, later, Scott, with this business within a business idea that you have. But the, um, the first function was a solutioning group, uh, the, the group that would intake um, you know, tens of thousands of initiatives. We, we had quite a lot of feedback coming from the field and also uh, a lot of uh, initiatives that we had to run. So they would intake, we would scope it, we would architect uh, with uh, solution architects or in this case learning experience architects as we called them. Uh, that was the group that I ran. It was about 35 people. Um, that, that group broke into uh, architecture and uh, program project management or business relationship management and uh, uh, project management. So that, that, was, that was the one group. The second group was uh, a build team, a build function, writers, uh, production folks, curriculum designers, creative specialists, etc. cetera. Uh, this was a group of um, about uh, 80 people. Uh, they you know, put finger on keyboards, very technically skilled, very good at what they do to produce um, these types of outputs that our reps would use um, in the field. And then the third group is an analytics, business analytics uh, function to measure all that as we evolved our services over time. Uh, so that was my group was on the, I, I ran the uh, solutioning group, about 35 people. And this idea of stakeholder management was huge because uh, we were the group responsible for. Great. Hold on. Let, let me let me ask. I want to just make sure I'm clear here, Brian. So the sales enablement function had three stools, a solutioning stool, a build stool, and a analytics stool. That's right. Three legs yeah. of the same stool. Right. Okay. So and they all reported into a shared services function. Where did the shared services function report into? Into the business units. Okay. In, directly into the business units. So it yeah. got funding from multiple different business units. Yeah, in a way it was a, it was a fixed um, investment that they figured out at the top and then we, we had our our funding was uh, headcount plus uh, we had consulting dollars, if you will, professional services that we would go get and we would get an annual drop, if you will. Um, but, and then we had uh, and we actually increased that over year over year, but that's that's how we were funded. Gotcha. So what I'd like everybody to do before we start talking about stakeholder management, imagine in your head, a, a, you know, just a box. That's the sandbox that the organization is in. And it's a shared services function of which there are multiple business units with which whom are more or less contributing to pay for this function. Uh, there are three components within that, within that master box, three smaller boxes within it, uh, so a solutioning box, a build box, and an advise, a, a advisor and analytics box. Our hero, <laughs> Brian, our hero, is in the solutioning box. And so within the solutioning box, let's talk about why stakeholder management is so important. What, what I try to do is do, my, do the job of laying the land. T tell me why stakeholder management is so important. It is really sets and manages expectations. When you have an enablement function, 
that is evolving. And, uh, you know, we made a lot of promises. Uh, we, we, we had to sell it internally. It had to be stood up internally. It got carved out from existing groups. We took some headcount over in the process. We had just come through a merger uh, environment. And uh, it was one of those things where we had to uh, really set and manage expectations. And I think that's ultimately what stakeholder management is about uh, on both sides. Uh, ourselves and what our people can do, what we can deliver in the context of an evolution or a transformation, but also the impact, business impact we can get over time. That was critical. Okay, so the to be simple about it, because we started off talking about stakeholder management using a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. To go back to to go back to centering uh, centering principles and simplicity. The simple answer is stakeholder manages about setting and managing expectations, right? That's right. That's right. How hard is that then? You said you said it was a two on how well you are. It doesn't <laughs> seem so hard. Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, uh, we broke it into three groups. So just to keep it, um, you know, actionable here, uh, you have to manage up, you have to manage across, and you have to manage down. The managing down uh, I, I think we should park that maybe for another podcast and just talk about the up and across piece because um, I had to learn a lot there. There's there are a lot of landmines. There are a lot of expectations, as we talked about, mm -hmm. and quite frankly, there's some politics, right, um, there. And I, that that's something that, uh, even though I'd come from a sales background, um, is important to make sure that, that we stay on top of proactively to build the right kind of relationships across because that's ultimately where your, your power and your funding comes from. And then also uh, above because of the pressure that they're getting from the executive team to transform the customer conversation, right? Okay, so so let's, let's park this here for a second. So we have stakeholder management is about setting and managing expectations, not rocket science. Well, now that, that, now that you've broken that down one, one level further, you have three different groups. You have uh, up, across and down. Let's talk about up right now. Just point number one. What does managing up mean? Who is the up? In this case, uh, shared services leadership, who really cares about, you know, business impact, the number of customers we're serving internally, uh, the volume of initiatives, the quality of initiatives, and, you know, the feedback that they're getting to make sure that they're adding the right kind of the value. And then our business unit leaders who really care about business impact of, for example, new hires or uh, knowledge management articles with processes in them to make sure that they're right. Um, and they wanna make sure that they're ultimately serving customers the right way. And in this business environment, compliance driven, make sure that it's done uh, legally correct, et cetera. So there's a lot of inspection um, by the business units to make sure that we're equipping the right reps with the right content, message, processes, et cetera. So let me ask it this way. So I'm being um, purposely challenging here because uh, Brian and I both know that bringing up a topic like stakeholder management can be difficult and people can tend to assume that's too theoretic or too big or whatnot. You just said, it, you said that you are, were, were in the solutions team how is met, why isn't messaging up just delivered to the VP of the shared services function? I don't understand. Isn't that, <laughs> aren't you just managing expectations of one person? Uh, Wouldn't well, that person, a good <laughs> is that a man or a woman who's managing all the other relationships of all the other groups? Why are you involved in that? Yeah, that's, that's a, a good question. Um, but it's, um, 
Yeah, I, I guess it's easy to miss, but it's one of those things where uh, if you don't do that, uh, you are pigeonholing yourself uh, with assumptions. So in other words, people will assume. And um, by people, I mean uh, leaders and sister organizations, for example. Shared services in this organization, let's pretend there's eight groups, and we were, you know, one of eight. So seven-eighths of the sister organization wouldn't really necessarily know what we're up to other than the interactions that they have with uh, our people. And that's, I don't think it's a, a good expectation to expect that one leader would be able to, to handle all that. And, and we really had to be proactive and actually plan out how we would stakeholder manage these, you know, seven other groups, if you will, from a communication perspective, uh, messaging, uh, declaring victory even for some wins, uh, which is important, um, and also uh, being clear on when we screwed up and doing that proactively so that things didn't fester, bubble up, or turn into an issue. All right, so let me, I think I need some stakeholder management to manage talking about this with you. About <laughs> so I, I, here's where I got a little bit lost, um, and, and maybe you can help provide clarity for me. Uh, in my head, as I'm following along with you, and I'm actually, uh, if you're listening, uh, I'm actually using a sheet of paper to draw out these things so I can make it more concrete. I have uh, in my head that there's a variety of different business units with whom are contracting or have expectations with your VP. Mm -hmm. You said seven other sister organizations. Mm -hmm. and What's going on in my head is I'm confused because I thought you only had two other sister organizations, the ops group, or sorry, not the ops group. Oh, the analytics and the build. Yeah, so enablement had three, three legs of a stool. Mm -hmm. That is one function of eight. Got it. So there are eight total functions. What were the other functions? It's things like um, policy procedures, um, uh, a group that would um, translate the product and technology into uh, what our what our uh, sites needed to be doing. Uh, that was a second group. A third group was quality uh, QA. A fourth group was uh, tools technology. Um, our our group was pretty much specifically aligned to um, equipping sellers with uh, content. So. Um, messaging and training content, knowledge management content, but we didn't do the uh, the technology, the de you know, for example, tech tools, rep tools, et cetera. And there was a separate analytics group that um, was outside of our enablement function. We actually created a, our own, our own uh, analytics group to get what we needed from a, an enablement perspective. But that was okay. another example. So um, I'm going to use some of the terminology. No, we haven't really mentioned or brought up our business with our business constructs, but of these eight total sister or partnering companies, these shared services functions, some of them are operating as suppliers to you, right? Yeah, that's right. So therefore, you have stakeholder management up to your boss, the, the VP, and then you have stakeholder management. Would you say that these are above or across, or do you have to message up to the VP? Do you communicate to the VP of these seven other grows, or do you provide messaging to your VP to provide those when the technology people don't give you the requirements? Yeah, that was a great question. It's, it's all the above. Uh, oh, goodness. 
Yeah, and and but we we also um, uh, it didn't really exist before. So the VP that I worked with and for he was a genius at and really good at um, the VP to VP stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but he needed the details, and so we had to put systems in place or processes, really more importantly, to make sure he was equipped. Because we're talking a lot of volume here. Um, so yeah, he was good at VP to VP. Um, but uh, in, in the in the weeds, if you will, of a, of a director level role, uh, you, you know, talking about initiatives, sequencing initiatives, um, resource challenges. That was really me working with my the analytics team that I had in L and D. Um, you know, my sister org to me, and the, um, that that was something that I had to do. And then eventually, Scott, uh, I actually trained and certified my my people, my my thirty people, on how to do some of this stuff. Uh, individual contributor to individual contributor, because the roles weren't clear, and there was things that we were like to your uh, super savvy point. We were an internal customer to these organizations, and I actually figured out that sixty percent of what we needed came from these other seven groups. Uh, but we rarely got it on time, um, and we had to be clear on when we needed it, what we needed, but for this initiative, and, and we had to provide direction and prioritization to these other groups so that we could get what we needed because we were dependent upon those inputs from them. And so the whole function ended up being stakeholder management that I led, not only setting and managing in, in, uh, expectations on intake and initiatives, but setting and managing expectations on what we could actually deliver on time. Gotcha. So, so Brian, I'm going to actually talk to the audience real quickly here uh, okay. to give a structure for it. And I'd love you get your comment on my, on my thoughts. So if, if you're listening to this, you, your head might be a little uh, swimming and saying, well, gee, this company has an org structure problem. Why don't they fix that? Or gee, that, I don't have those problems inside my company, or gee, why didn't Brian just do what he's told and just execute on the, on, on the training programs? And even if you're in a small company, uh, the, the, the ability to navigate on this, the, the amount of people who have strong opinions about what sales enablement is, does, and should be doing is massive. So to Brian's point earlier on, which is setting and managing expectations, how many people are in your supply chain? And I'll bet you it looks as convoluted as what Brian's doing. By the way, we still haven't even talked about the business units, right? Right, that's correct. Yeah, it was, it was hundreds of people. We actually mapped it all out. So there's hundreds of people across that we needed to make sure we were working with well and that, that we were setting managing expectations with. So there's another key point. What did you just say here? You, you mapped it all out. How did you do that? Talk to me about that. Well, yeah, so um, on the across piece only, um, each one of those, we had dependencies, and we built an, a dependency playbook, if you will, for our teams. And this is just for our enablement team, but to get what we needed, because we were dependent upon 60% of other groups to get what we needed, and uh, we had to train and certify our people on um, setting and managing expectations across, giving them the influencing skills and techniques, et cetera. And then uh, we actually built uh, stakeholder maps. Um, we built spreadsheets. Uh, we had people's names and functions. Uh, and we had people that um, we uh, identified as key partners. Uh, and those people that uh, were either um, responsible for giving us information. And it was basically a functional to function, a functional RACI, uh, RACI diagram, who's responsible, accountable, who needs to be consulted, who needs to be informed, but by function. 
Um, we, we actually mapped all that out and I did that with my teams and it was uh, super painful, but it cut through a lot of the challenges downstream later. So I heard a couple things that if in my experience that our audience might be wrestling with, I heard some what what our listeners might, I'm not putting this into you, Brian, but our listeners might be saying, um, racy? That sounds like consulting mumbo jumbo. Why would you do that? Why would you build a racy chart? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question, and, and actually I got asked that question, and the, the, the thing about it is we're in a knowledge working business. Uh, we, uh, as, a, as an organization, and I would even submit even, even in organizations that were significantly smaller, uh, have uh, this, this nature of quote-unquote cross-functional work. Um, we, we all need inputs, and we all should be adding value to produce some sort of output that others can use. That's our assembly line. And we would we'd dissect the assembly line of, of taking an input from an, other groups, the quality, the spec, the requirements of said inputs, clarifying what we needed on the input side so it made it easier on our output side. We would also have to stakeholder manage on the outputs we created. Those outputs, some of those, uh, we didn't have enough time. And we had to set expectations, we didn't have enough time. Some of them, the quality wasn't good. We had to explain why and uh, be proactive doing that before somebody called it out. So these are things that we actually ended up having to institutionalize and we can only do it through this idea of a racy of who's actually responsible, who's actually accountable, who should actually just give us input or informed, and uh, who should we consult with. And, and I'll tell you why, to net it out, if you don't do that, everybody's an approver and everybody needs to provide input. And uh, we actually did the work to figure out how many approvers we had and there were hundreds of people responsible for signing off on stuff. That's not manageable. Yeah. Um, so just the approval cycle alone was eating us alive. And uh, so, Brian, know, that sounds like a lot of work. Oh yeah, it is. You have to do it though. You have to do it because um, it actually uh, clarified across the organization. If we didn't do the work, um, nobody nobody else would have, and it everybody was making assumptions and. The thing about enablement, and I think everybody can relate to this, is because we're, you're the, kind of the last mile or because you're the VP of broken things, <laughs> um, the buck stops with you. So, you know, you end up inheriting a lot of, uh, you know, baggage and or conflict and or expectations that others should be fulfilling on. And, uh, you know, you could be people could shoot the messenger or shoot the deliverer in this case. And uh, I was kind of sick of it. So. Um, once we clarified our dependencies and who was responsible for what, we actually got business unit help and enrolled them in to getting what we needed uh, earlier, getting us access earlier. We, we were actually able to knock some doors down with the help of the, our internal customers uh, in the name of helping reps be successful. So it sounds to me like hearing all that and to try to put some simplicity or a, simpli uh, a, a simplifier bow around it, it sounds to me that stakeholder management is a critical cog in order to create some clarity yeah multiple departments right mm -hmm. not the only answer but it's a step so what i would like to do is i'm, I'm going to relate this story so you might be saying well of course you need to do all that fancy stakeholder mapping stuff in a big company like that i don't need to do it in my insert small insert medium size <laughs> whatever I, I don't need to do that well, what's interesting about that is if you listen to our episode number seven, a listener joins and establishing a sales enabling function, we actually had 
somebody who was brand new in the role. Remember that, Brian? We had uh, we had Beth. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we we talked about was uh, both the combination of role clarity, which I'm sure we'll have another uh, podcast on, and stakeholder uh, stakeholder management and, and Racy. And the the situation that she was dealing with was she was in competition with sales managers, and that. It, that in upon itself is a complex topic, but it's nowhere near, nowhere near as complex as you start radiating out. Uh, so she, actually it was sales managers and then also the product marketing group, right? So what I'm trying to do is say that this concept of stakeholder management is vitally important regardless of whether or not you're just getting started like Elizabeth was or whether you're in a corporate function like uh, a, a large corporate function like Brian was. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Okay. So then I, 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 what I didn't want to do is I want to get a little flavor. You said you were a two at how good that was. What, what were, give us three lessons learned or, or three things uh, of what, what pitfalls to avoid that uh, if you were to do it all over again, how would you go from a two to a five? Like, yeah. What do you need to do better at stakeholder management, what should be people? What should people be heeding? Yeah, uh, you can't uh, stakeholder manage over email. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, okay, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at that because uh, Brian and I have some. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have some history of working together. That's the, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't a dig at you, but uh, maybe maybe I learned some bad habits. I don't know, but uh, yeah, you got to pick up the phone. You got to go visit got to get in front of people and it's same in sales right but um you got to do it and you got to force yourself to do it i would say to the magnitude of double what you think you should be doing <laughs> uh, not just for activity's sake but the speed of business moves so quickly um especially where i where i was that you know you, you saw me last month but that was you know a month feels like uh, six months here um because things move so quickly so uh you got to make those and that, that's primarily to, to work on the trust face-to-face. Uh, -face. So that's the first one is face-to-face -face build trust. The second one that I would say to avoid the pitfall is frequency. Um, I found that even to the point where uh, I, I could build trust and get a, a text, uh, I could text people, um, and these are executives. I, we actually, I started texting them, and they would appreciate it. So there was more of a, about a frequency instead of making it um, so formal that we're going to now do a, a stakeholder touch and things. It's, it's more if we, get, we do re real time. Um, and the third thing is, you know, enroll the team. I, I thought, okay, I'm I'm the leader. I must do stakeholder management. Then I, I realized that I couldn't do it alone. I, I needed to equip my 30 people to manage stakeholders. It's going to take a village. And uh, that's where we rolled out our certifications and stuff to help with that and built this, you know, dependency playbook, which was an incredibly detailed um that everybody started using and, and we were kind of you know uh, wielding like the force in star wars it was like there people were like how'd you how, how'd you guys do that and we, we'd have this thing you know in the, in the backstage and people didn't even know we had it but we could be pretty zen so you know that that's the third thing excellent that's that's great stuff so things to improve so i think we're at the point here to to wrap up um what we're going to do right now is brian you have some five summary points and then I'll close this out and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let people along their day. So what yeah. are 
five, what, what were some yeah. five, five key points that you think people should know about with regards to stakeholder management? Yeah, I'm going to frame this out in the context of uh, you know, being helpful to, to create maybe a little bit more of a tool approach here. I, I think you should, you know, take your org chart, print it out, and uh, do the work to figure out who, who you need to be talking to and actually documenting how frequently uh, you, you want to talk to them. So uh, it's kind of a coverage heat map, which we built. Um, and, and again, we actually only talked about the across piece mostly um, there. And, you know, there's the whole managing up piece and including that uh, as well in your coverage heat map so that you're clear on uh, who you talk to and when and document that. And, and we actually got into the point where when was the last time we talked to them, who said what, uh, how do we carry that conversation forward as a unified group? That coverage heat map let us do that. Uh, we also um, built a um, kind of a thermometer view of that co coverage heat map to, uh, you know, who, who, who's a little bit uh, agitated with us and, and who's a big supporter um, so that we could enroll people there. The, the, the second thing would be to have an actual communication strategy, almost like a, a PR strategy. Um, to, to say, here, you know, here's our approach to when we stepped on it uh, and we didn't do what we needed to do. Here's our approach. So this management <laughs> response plan. Uh, here's our approach for declaring victories and wins. So having that thought through um, proactively so that we could just wheel it out and execute, that's the second thing. Uh, and then the third thing I would say is um, make sure you have successes and wins and make sure you have those identified. So let me make, make sure we cover the, the um, cover those things real quickly. So talk about the, the, the coverage heat map. So the, that's, that's point number one, right? I, I thought right. starting with stakeholder map, wouldn't step number one, we start with uh, just inventorying out all of our audiences. Yeah, that's right. That's what the stakeholder map would get you. Yeah. yeah. Because what, what I'm trying to do is uh, this, this all can sound very complex. And it sounds like you were building a lot of this stuff in the fly in a very reactive situation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's right. So it sounds it, to, to me, the mental picture that I have is that you're throwing a bunch of your, your team is basically in, in regards to managing expectations uh, and setting expectations. You guys are a whole bunch of fingers in the dikes and then another one popping. We got to go scurry over here and go fix this thing. And that was, that was the situation that forced you guys to build that. Is that is right? That, is yeah. That, and we had to take the inventory, like you said, and all of us, in land. all of us in sales enablement can relate to that. So what in environments like this, when we're under heavy, heavy, heavy fire, the idea of creating a stakeholder map, we just might reject. So what I'm trying to do, Brian, is for our listeners, is take advantage of your emotive state of, of where you were and why you built these things, but then let's be a little bit simpler. Like step number one, it's not that difficult to, take, to go and look at the org chart and build out a map of the people that are important, right? And it's where you started. Yeah, that's right. Okay, because what I want to do is on like the, the idea of a heat map, geez, what does that look like? Oh, it, it can get intimidating real quickly and it can sound like um, theoretical jar consulting jargon uh, to some people, right? Sure. Yeah. So then, then what did you do? After you took that inventory, what did you do with that? Uh, we met internally and we talked about each individual on the, on the, on the inventory, each you person. Met with your team, right? Yeah, met with my team and my leader. 
And we, and ba so basically what I'm in that imagine here is sort of like a scene in Moneyball, right? We have a bunch of scouts in the room and, and that's right. things in the car and I say, what about this guy? Yeah, uh, what about this guy? Cut. Yeah. And all of them are fantastic, awesome people, if any of them are listening. <laughs> yeah, are I don't mean your team. I meant the, the, the people that were up on the wall that you were yeah, talking they, about. Them too. Them too. Uh, well, you know what? It doesn't matter what the company is. We don't know who it is. Right? That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, we would go down uh, and we would we would just talk about them. And more importantly, we would start with what are their outcomes? What are their goals? What are their needs? What do we know about them? What are their hot buttons, right? Those types of things were really important. So uh, um, one of the things that we'll talk about, we've been talking about this for an engagement that we're both working on is sort of managing anxiety. But uh, in the environment of... Uh, how did you go when, when everybody's in this uh, finger in the dike mode? How did you get, get everybody to take time out and say, let's build an inventory of our stakeholders? I can just imagine people going, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, luckily I was in a leadership role, so I could say, listen, you know, I'm going to give you two weeks. Um, let me do the work here. I'm going to give you an example. So in one of my, one of my, all, my all hands, I, I, I put it up there and said, here's an example of the spreadsheet we're going to build. I've done several of them. We're going to do this. Here's why we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. My expectation is you'll have a draft. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, you're going to run that through your managers. I had, I had three direct reports. And then we're going to talk about this. And, and then what you're going to do is you're going to see that come back to you uh, in, in a month or two. And then yeah. here's why we do it. Uh, and, and I used, you know, some of the language that you and I had worked on. It's a, it's a practice golf swing. It's a, yeah. you know. We're just doing something. It's an exercise, and it's important for stakeholder management. And, and this is important for a skill, you know, for your professional development. You guys are going to need to do this in any in any position that you have. Yeah, yeah. So I I just want to provide a little bit of transparency there. And and the the, the key point before we'll, we'll wrap this up is so stakeholder management is a big topic. The reason that we introduced it through the, the lens of, of Foghorn Leghorn cartoon, because at the end of the day, it really gets down to what, Brian? Glue Everybody it. wants something. Everybody wants something at the end of the day. And when people can't even figure out how to articulate what they want, or they're not communicating, they get frustrated. It's a basic human nature, but when you're in that state of agitation, you have to introduce some things to, to, to calm your team down. So. That's where what Brian was talking about these, oh, we're just going to practice a golf swing together. Because people, when you introduce new terms to your team, there's a lot of resistance. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's one, uh, 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 one point. Another point is if you can sort of envision ways to make it simpler. Um, why does the, the chicken hawk, uh, why did the chicken hawk cartoon resonate with you? I'll tell you how it resonated with me, but w what about you? How did it help you? Um, and how would it help you do stakeholder management better? Yeah, every, everybody wants something and also um, this idea of everybody has something different. And uh, yeah, that can be a little aggravating, but it's reality. It's reality. And you yeah. got to do, do the work. Um, so I spring a lot of these stories on Brian um, so he doesn't know what they are in the first place. And, you know, sometimes we talk about it the next day when, when you've had a chance to illuminate on it. And Brian told me, he said, you know, I really like that idea of the cheese because even on top of that, there's so many different flavors of cheese that, that we want to talk about. Like, <laughs> That's you know, right. people like Swiss and some people like cheddar and some people like sharp. And even just the concept of cheese isn't even easy. 
And, yeah. you know, I think that these are the things to think about is if we want to make our lives, the lives easier for our sellers and, and give them that training kind of training, we have a whole bunch of companies uh, or a whole bunch of people in our company that wants to get, do stuff to them or, or have you do it for them on their behalf. And there's just all these different flavors, how you manage all those inputs and outputs. We really, we, both of us feel very strong in the strategy to do that. Stakeholder management is a topic that you should, we should, you should be learning about. And it's a topic that you should be learning about. And it's uh, something that's baffling to both Brian and I that we don't see a lot more articles about it. So that's why we're doing this podcast. Brian, I'll let you have the, I'll let you have the last word here. And um, yep. And one of the mantras that I would use with my people, I'm going to leave with our listeners, and it's uh, you either do the work on the front end or you end up doing the work on the back end. And the work on the back end is extremely painful. It's either, you know, you're called on the carpet, it's an escalation, uh, there's some sort of crisis that, that couldn't be averted and uh, or could have been averted with stakeholder management. So while it might seem daunting, it's way better to do it on your own terms on the front end than to have that issue pop up downstream that's going to take you you know all weekend to resolve because you don't have the right relationships etc so do it on the front end and not the back end excellent 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 so insider nation give us your ideas what we'd like to do is we'd like to ask one question of you one question where do you listen to us on like or how do you listen to us do you listen to your car do you listen on the treadmill and take a picture of it and post it on LinkedIn for us and, and share with other insider nations where you're watching or listening or however you're engaging. Let's see what happens. Thank you very much and we'll see you next episode. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.